welcome all to a very interactive uh, session. Uh, before I would uh, hand over to this uh, session to my colleague Anshuman, who is uh, leading pharma analyst in India, I would like to inform all the participants today that this is a very inter interactive session, and I would request all participants to please raise your hand, and we uh, ask you to unmute yourself. Um, uh, please mention your name. You know, we can't see some of the people who joined here. Uh, please mention your name before you ask your question. Uh, please note that this session is being recorded. Thank you very much. Over to you, Anshul. Thanks, Sopna, and um, thanks um, to you, um, Mr. Sadhu, and uh, also the GLAN team for allocating time today for this call. I know it's a, it's a very busy time uh, for you guys. Um, so, uh, so on the video today, I just wanted to introduce, we have Mr. Srinivas Sadhu. Uh, most of us know him very well. He is the current MD and CEO of GLAN Pharma and has been with the company for over 20 years. Uh, sir, like always, I think it's, it's, it's a pleasure talking to you. So, uh, just for the, all the uh, participants here, um, uh, you can please raise your hands if you have a question. And we will also encourage participants if they want to switch on their video cameras, um, if they wish to do so. Okay. Uh, so, so now, uh, just to start this conversation, I think I would request Mr. Sadhu to give his opening remarks and then we can um, start the Q&A. Over to you, sir. Yeah, good afternoon, uh, and thank you for you know, giving this opportunity to interact with uh, a lot of participants here. I think uh, not only a pleasure, but it's like a pleasure also. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you all know the, the company well, I guess, and um, yeah, it's, it's more like I would like this to be a more interactive session, and uh, I, I'll just give you an update and probably will provide some answers to the questions some participants might have. Um, I've been... Um, uh, informing the investor community about the challenges being faced by the industry and especially in the injectables uh, space. Uh, from our own perspective, being a very focused injectable company, uh, you know, last year, uh, because of the COVID, that point of time, I think we never emphasized that, uh, you know, we, we all thought where the capacities of vaccines will be coming from. Uh, some people have put up some uh, capacities quickly and uh, some, a lot of companies have started manufacturing sales finish. And nobody, nobody thought, you know, uh, nobody looked at uh, the other material input going into that, whether there's a shortage of that, really, at that point of time, everybody's focused on uh, uh, how to get out of this COVID situation. Um, you know, luckily for us, you know, for the, for the last uh, 14, 15 months, you know, uh, prior to the Jan, uh, we didn't see an impact because we always maintained enough inventories uh, for all our products. And, uh, you know, while there were delays from suppliers because inventories we could get over the situation, but we started seeing, uh, that impact on, as a bit from, from Jan, Jan said one was, and I've been informing that, so the initially it was, but then the challenges in terms of, uh, same supplies, um, then it, it went into some stoppers, then, you know, tubings, filters, and, uh, basically because actually all Kiran products, I think the impact was more on us. And uh, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, it's across all uh, all products because we have a portfolio for 200 products, uh, but few products got impacted. Unfortunately, one or two major products of us got impacted because of this, you know, whether, and, you know, we are one of the largest suppliers of, uh, you know, in, uh, which goes into syringe format, so the impact is larger for us. 
uh, the other is also, you know, the happening is a large product for us and stop us. But that particular product also got into all the situations where it's been 15, 16 months, we didn't get supplies from the supplier. Uh, so that, that set in line on the challenges, I, I would say temporary, at least the same situation is better off. Um, we, uh, we could get substantial quantities at the end of this quarter. So I think that will get normalized next quarter. Um, stock was still, uh, there are challenges around that. We are you know, interacting with the, uh, the suppliers. Um, but, you know, I think uh, these are all temporary cases on the demand that field is strong. Um, luckily, you know, business model is robust and is very resilient. Uh, in spite of the challenges around price, pricing in the U.S., if you see our last year growth, you know, the growth of, you know, volume growth was almost 21% over the previous year. And, you know, the new launches has given a growth of 7-8%. Uh, in spite of the price pressure, which, you know, there was a growth of 3-4% because of the price, but still, like I always said, uh, you know, sometimes, um, uh, you know, some, uh, this, uh, this competitors actually benefits our business model. Uh, we have seen over the years, whenever there's a price pressure, companies exiting this molecule or companies who have less margins these products coming to us as a second supplier. And that's exactly what's happening. You can see the volume growth. It's prior to the it was prior year, it was only about 14% last year, was 21% growth in terms of volumes. So that also shows, you know, on one side, price pressure is impacting the margin. At the same time, our business model is helping us to get more volumes to us. So in a way, we are offsetting uh, the, the pricing pressure margins with the operational leverage because we're making more volumes. So in that way, at least, uh, I would say that uh, we're in a better position uh, in the you know, near term and long term uh, also. Uh, Portfolio-wise, uh, uh, as part of our long term plan, uh, we are filing products in the same pace like what you have done. The complex injectable journey what you started almost four or five years ago. Uh, which you never uh, talked about earlier. We started talking about last year. We filed four products this year. In the next two years, we have got 40 to 50 products in pipeline. So we filed. Few products are already in the filing stage this year. So that's that's on track. So that will be, uh, you know, I would say a niche, uh, very limited competitive products. Uh, that I could say. And uh, why there are several products which are going up again. Uh, you are seeing more competition in injectable space in the last, last few quarters. The, I would say that will continue the newer products. Uh, but, you know, when you look at the uh, the, uh, the injectable dynamics, right, I mean, if you have a portfolio of 250 products, companies are entering today are focusing on products which are going operated or some of the newer products, but the set of products which have already launched many years ago, they are still there. So that's not going to any price. So in that way, the impact is lesser uh, for us. Um, unlike companies who are entering uh, newly. That's one. Second advantage is that the companies who are entering now, we are always looking at how to increase the portfolio. Again, we play a role in that because they try to seek uh, more products from companies like us so that they can have a basket of products. So that's another advantage we have. So I would say, you know, the, uh, uh, the model what we have and uh, the portfolio what we have, uh, you know, while we have a temporary disruptions and challenges for a quarter or two, but I would say longer run, uh, it's, it's robust enough. Uh, the China entry again, uh, two products are close to approval. Again, you know, delay because of COVID, whether the inspections or the regulatory approvals got delayed. Uh, but all these are part of our, uh, growth plans and they are, they are aligned, uh, and there's no, no going back on the strategy what we have laid a few years ago. 
Um, I, so I would say, uh, um, I'm sure on the team that uh, we are confident enough that uh, you know what what we thought of delivering uh, on a longer run will continue in that mode. Uh, while we may have some hiccups in the shorter run, which are more externally driven things, uh, you know whether the increase of costs, logistic costs, um, uh, you know the supply chain disruptions, all we will feel as temporary, and most of this we are trying to get offset it. Uh, in the meanwhile, uh, you know we all understand. You know we are running missionary uh, continuously for last few years. We could take a break. We are taking one by one, you know, one one line after another shut down so that you know we have to do some preventive maintenance because we also maintain need to maintain those GMPs and also optimize because on one side to make it more efficient we need to add more equipment as part of that actually we took two manufacturing lines shut down in last quarter. Uh, one line was complete quarter we took a shutdown. We have added more equipment so that the efficiency is really great. So the line which was giving us four to five manufacturing days today, you know, it can be six manufacturing days. So these are temporary decisions we took so that you know on a longer run it will help us to improve our margins as well as the uh, efficiencies. Uh, having said that, I think I'll leave the floor for, for Q and A and you know any anything uh, any questions on the business you know, I'm willing to uh, you know, answer. Sure, no, no, thanks. I think sir, this is this is extremely useful and I think uh, maybe uh, uh, I will start with a few questions and I, I've been over the last few weeks and even last week I've collected set of questions which, you know, which clients have been asking or insisting that you have been asking. So, I will probably shoot a few and then I'm hoping that there are a lot of participants today and we are hoping that, uh, you know, um, you know, they are all, all free to ask, uh, raise their hands and ask questions. So, I think, uh, so that's how we'll do. So, just again for the audience, I think if you have any questions, please raise a virtual hand and, you know, we will unmute you and then you can ask your questions. Um, so, so, firstly, I think, sir, um, you know, you... You did mention about um, the demand environment, right? And especially in the post-COVID scenario. Uh, so, so tell us a little more about this environment. I mean, how how robust uh, is this demand environment, and is there a difference in the demand patterns across uh, US and other ROW markets? Yes, uh, you know, I would I would still say that it has not from really gone back to pre-COVID levels in in some of the products, especially anti-infectives. Um, some have gone back and some are still in the transition, especially in the U.S. The rest of the world markets, you know, uh, some markets, uh, honestly, you know, we were supplying goods to Sri Lanka, that's gone. Uh, it's a extra, extra environment-driven uh, factors. Uh, you know, we are supplying some to Ukraine, not big quantities, but some small quantities. Uh, those are the issues. Now, some markets uh, during COVID, uh, they have allowed uh, emergency imports into the country, like Brazil, you know, 24-month, 12-month, uh, I think, window, they gave unregistered products to be imported because they wanted those quantities, you know, special products like black thinners and anesthetics. And a lot of stocks went from unregistered supplies during that time. So that inventory is still getting cleared. So so you see a softness in in these markets because they want to get rid of the inventories. You can come back in a quarter or so. So these are, I would say, are the temporary things because that window is, is closed, but the inventory is still lying there, so they're getting rid of that, and some probably will end up you know, getting expired. Uh, but again, like I said, uh, you know, most of the countries are going back. The consumption pattern, those countries still not very clear because they're using up the inventory what they have. Uh, but what we hear is, you know, the inspection started uh, happening, you know, and we again started uh, visiting the, um, the sites. Uh, we are getting visitors from other other uh, regulatory authorities also, 
And what we hear is the pattern in other countries is far, um, you know, normal than U.S. You still see anti-infectious still not come back to the pre pre-COVID levels, but there are there are products uh, which have compensated, uh, you know, with, with other other launches which have done. So, so, so basically, I think uh, while demand environment may not have come back to the original levels, but I think uh, otherwise. Uh, the demand pattern uh, patterns are, are are quite robust overall, right? So uh, maybe next six months uh, there could be still some normalisation, but from a longer term perspective, you're not seeing any any major change in terms of the demand, right? Correct. So uh, you know the it's a very uh, uh, the situation is very fluid, I would say, right? I mean, on one side the demand is high. We uh, you know every week, you know, as of today, you know, we got one more uh, mail from from FDA that there's a product going up shortage in the next month, one month or so. On one side, the situation of shortage is happening. Uh, the pricing is not going up, uh, and and also the uh, what we hear is also the uh, when we're talking about suppliers who are not able to supply just not the materials, they have issues. They themselves are having issues with raw materials, but also in terms of labor, the cost of labor, getting labor, the different challenges they are facing. So, you know, I think that, that you know, it, it's a multidimensional problem, I would say, but, uh, you know, uh, specific, I think, few, uh, you know, out of 200 products, you know, six or seven products are affected. It's just that, you know, one or two products, big products are affected. That's why it's still intact. But otherwise, I think people are getting there. I think, uh, you know, even uh, the suppliers uh, are in some capacities. Some uh, some stock of suppliers, they said, you know, by August, September, they have additional uh, uh, facilities coming up on track. So I think people are taking those steps. It's just, I think, I think it's just a time. Sure. So I think, I mean, just sort of more clarity, I think uh, you've been talking about this whole uh, supply chain disruption in the market. So, both from an RM perspective or, say, some of the consumables perspective, I think we're seeing, um, you know, I mean, you've been highlighting the shortages, right? So, so I think a lot of questions we are getting are about the intensity of the issue, right, for gland particularly. And, I mean, again, maybe it's a reiteration, but just to get a confirmation from you that uh, is this an industry-wide issue and not just specific to you, if you can clarify that. Uh, I think it all depends on, uh, you know, because, it, you know, stoppers could be, you know, 100 different codes and, you know, suppliers could be one or two. And like I said, you know, when we have 200 products, it's not that it's across all or skills. And some we have inventory, some we don't. Uh, some we're not able to get supplies, some we are able to get supplies. So I would, I would, I, I can't give a clear, uh, clear cut answer for that. It also depends on how large that product for a particular company is, you know. We are completely 100% jetful company. Uh, syringes, they're the largest manufacturers, I would say. So the impact is larger for us, I would say. But, you know, uh, you know, we also hear instead getting requests from our partners who are also manufacturing other products. You know, do you have this particular, uh, code filter? Uh, uh, you know, we need about 100 filters for this. Uh, can you supply so many, uh, stoppers? You know, we need a million. So we are getting those requests. So I would say, you know, the, the issue is there across the globe, not just India. Uh, but it's just that how intensive uh, other companies are, depending on, you know, whether they're using particular code of uh, stopper or, you know, how large is the product for them. Uh, you know, I, I would put that way. Sure. So I, I heard multiple terms from you that gland is large. That's why maybe the issue is felt more. Uh, you're talking about not just syringes. You're talking about stoppers, um, some form of vials, 
and I think multiple, it's not just one series, I think there are multiple such uh, raw material sort of required for injectables, right? Is that a fair understanding? Correct. And we think stoppers, right, you know, when we only have face issues with the three or four different uh, product-related stoppers, uh, quickly, you know, uh, we have actually qualified their other facility, uh, you know, some uh, the, the stopper manufacturer has two sites approved or three sites approved for particular stoppers, so they have quickly added the second uh, site also. The issue is where they don't have any other option but just one site was manufacturing it, and then we qualified that, but they don't have capacity for that. I think these are the, you know, some specific uh, issues which are facing. Sure. And I think before I, I ask uh, some of the audience questions, I, I, I wanted to, uh, f- from you to understand uh, the various aspects of this emitter margin drop that we have seen uh, more recently than in the past. So, can you, um, uh, so can you just elaborate what are the various elements because of which you have seen an emitter margin drop? And maybe, you know, in terms of outlook, if you could share, uh, you know, as a subsequent question. I think it's a combination of uh, the uh, the cost, the um, the logistic cost, uh, and uh, and also combination of supply and disruption. Like uh, we're talking about so many materials now because we don't have inventory, we are airlifting a lot of goods which are earlier doing by sea because it takes two months to get to us. Now we don't have that kind of a time. Likewise, we are airlifting finished goods to US wherever they see you know there's a disruption in supply, which we are not earlier doing this. And, you know, as such, uh, you know, even a normal uh, shipment costs have gone down like crazy. And now this year converting from sea shipment to air shipment, it will add more cost to it. Likewise, the ROW shipment cost is one of the uh, uh, expenses which incur more. Uh, the utilities cost, the power costs in India, especially during summers, you know, we are, uh, a couple of our sites are in Vizag. There was no power for a month. We have used completely run on uh, diesels, and that's more expensive. Uh, now it's back to normal. So these are the things which actually, uh, you know, contributed to this drop in the margin. Uh, I think uh, that will again go back to normalize it uh, once uh, the situation improves. So I think even higher R&D expense would have played a role. We can clearly see on the PNL that, you know, also I think uh, one of the reasons that you're selling more in RWS, we understand that, you know, that is also pulling down the gross margin to some extent and which is what also must have been paid, right? That's, that's also the yeah. Some mix of geography, geographic mix, because gross mines and the rest of the world is lower, but, you know, that will be offset, I would say, apart by the, um, uh, the, the operational efficiencies for the tax service for the increase for that. And also, I the cost, they're getting more complex for us, so that is more expensive than that. But still, it's within the percentage range, what we talked about, actually, numbers still gone up substantially, due to the 3%, if you see historically our R&D spend, now it's close to 5%. But that way it also is impacting our margin. Sure. And sir, from a uh, margin guidance perspective, I mean, EBITDA margin guidance X, other income, if you could just, um, you know, uh, spell it out for the uh, for the audience here, it could be great. I mean, X, other income. Yeah, so normally I look at EBITDA as a total because our other income, most of it also operational income. Uh, unlike a lot of companies, we don't hedge and um, uh, other than some interest income we get. Uh, mostly the forex scale is part of our office income. So as a total, we always talk about. But I would still say, you know, 30, 37 percent uh, EBITDA margin is, is doable in the longer run. Yeah. And and this again, I'm just specific. I think this is X other income, right? That's what you meant. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Perfect. And then I think I think also your profit share levels. I know that uh, profit 
profit share from an absolute perspective has gone up between FY21 to FY22. But I think you did mention that how these all these cost pressures is also impacting uh, our profit share to some extent. So if you can elaborate that, uh, it'll be good. See, unlike a, a B2C company where logistic cost, everything uh, comes into uh, the uh, the bottom line for us, uh, because it's X-Works, the partners who take up product and transfer price, they did up all the logistic costs and then they share the profit. Uh, so, so prior years, whether it is, you know, whether whenever uh, the deductions for lesser deductions that used to happen, I was a larger deduction. That's, that's why the, the impact is there at the profit share level uh, in athletics. But of course, at the bottom level, it's the same, but it just starts reflecting specifically in the profit share element for us. Sure. I think I'll ask, uh, uh, you know, there are a couple of questions in the audience and maybe I'll come back uh, and ask you more. But, so Darshan, you want to unmute yourself and ask a question? Uh, yeah. Thanks a lot for taking my question. So my, you know, um, uh, question is to understand, you know, when we talk about competition intensity, injectables is a large space. It's not like it's a, you know, one shirt fit all. And you look at any part, the first kind of competition comes from the low-hanging fruits and the easy to make. When you move towards lyophilization, when you move towards, you know, chiral chemistry, when you move up the channel, and you also talked about biosimilars, talking about CDMO, you would again create a high entry barrier. I mean, to that extent, should we have significantly higher entry barriers, say, the next couple of years somehow? And we would be relatively a lot more, you know, better placed. Uh, see, you're absolutely right in one way, right? I mean, everybody who's entering this space in the recent times, you know, they start entering with a liquid wire, which is the easiest of the lot. Uh, I would say actually the easiest next wire, but US market accepts the liquid wires, then the lyo, and then, you know, the syringes, then the bags, and the oxygen, that's how the uh, difficulty in technologies, and that's actually we've gone up in the last 18, 20 years. It's, it's a lot of learning, learning going work. So people are getting into these areas and there's a price pressure on those kind of products. Uh, uh, so in that way, you know, whenever uh, somebody wants to enter a new technology, it takes so many years to get in. And even after getting in, uh, the, the kind of shift is to get to, uh, to the levels what, you know, we have to, we have got to, you know, it takes a lot of time and expense. So there is a lot of entry barrier in that. Uh, that's one. Second, how lucrative is there uh, compared to probably 10 years ago? You know, exactly. Uh, cognizant of the fact that there's a very attractive market, very difficult segment to enter in. A lot of companies have dosage forms other than injectables. So everybody wants to see, you know, if I invest X money, I'm going to get more in orals or, you know, other dosage forms or injectables where the risk is higher. And now do, do they have the capability to run it efficiently with the same quality standard which are getting the volume? So there are different dynamics people have to look at. And that's where, you know, it's talking. But then everybody starts talking about, you know, injectables and margin profile and, you know, the value and all that. So people start entering this market. Uh, and we have seen it not just last two years. We have seen some six, seven years the competition is increasing. And we always said, you know, we have probably had by 10, 20 years. Uh, by the time everybody starts making wild flyers, we have already uh, got into two or three different technologies. And by the time they reach there, it will be more. And... And, and the, 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 uh, the technology is also moving out, right? As you see, most of the now formulations are moving to RTU, radius formulation, bad technology, dual chamber technology, get into pen systems. Uh, so we are, we are already into that right now. So it's, it's all the more difficult for new So I would say 
uh, you're writing on this, there's an entry barrier for that. People who are entering now might put pressure on some of the products in the low-hanging fruit. Uh, the products that are easier to make. But again, it takes time to get into the other products where, you know, we are already started making those products. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, sure. And uh, so second is, you know, when I look at, uh, you know, even the global, you know, space, one is, you know, while competition intensifies, I mean, on paper, people might want to find, but you look at the number of, uh, you know, facilities that get warning letter on, you know, uh, import alert, seems to be substantially higher. And even from our business perspective, I mean, when you look at it, our share probably with the innovators or with the larger clients only keep increasing as far as volumes are concerned. So, I think as a business while you might see some kind of competition at the lower end. Specifically when it comes to products that really matters. I mean when I look at the last three to four years, the trajectory seems to be that the product that matters seems to be, you know, getting bigger as far as volumes are concerned and you seem to be getting bigger from a client perspective. <clears throat> right. So like I said, you know, all the new players want to launch products which are either going off patent or um uh, or the newer products, right? They don't want that the older products where the competition is already there, right? And, uh, you know, even the contracts what companies have already established with the GPOs, it's very difficult to get in once they get, right? It's like a five-year contract, seven-year contract. And if you have a good uh, supply history, if you have a good quality history, normally you get that advantage. Uh, and your partner is somebody like a Pfizer or a FK, you know, they always have a portfolio with which they can ride on. So it's difficult to break into that, and those only will increase because these newer players who are entering in, they try to launch newer products, but they won't have the larger portfolio. So they come and come, come to us and say, can you give this older product which you already have? And that's what actually is increasing the volume. So one on one side, you're having this product in the market for many years. Second, these guys are coming and saying, okay, we want to have some product. They may not have substantial quantities, but then, you know, it's a pool of three or four players who are trying to get this product from us. And that's why you have five or six companies who are setting up products in, in the market, and that's why this 35 40 percent volume uh, um, uh, share they're having, and you know it's growing that substantial. Uh, uh, you know, if you 21 percent older product volume growth is very substantial, I would say, considering the competitive intensity uh, intensity uh, intensity share in the market. And uh, yeah, just one more question. Sorry, 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 can you? I think yeah, yeah, more people waiting. If you don't mind, okay. sorry. Yeah. So, uh, Manish, can you do you want to unmute yourself and ask a question? Manish, you are uh, you are unmute. You are un- you are unmuted already. Hello, Manish. So Manish is muted. Yeah. Go ahead, Manish. Are you? Uh, in the meanwhile, can I ask the next person, maybe Mr. Ashish, to ask the question in the interest of our time and we'll get Manish back, if that's okay. Yeah. Ashish, can you unmute? Oh. Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Go ahead, Ashish. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, about this uh, shortage situation, you said you, get an, you are getting an email from the USFDA every week. So how does USFDA is now, how, how are they uh, taking stock of the situation? Because uh, as you are saying, uh, the issues might persist in the, ne- uh, in the next two quarters. So how is the dialogue between you two guys given that we are a prominent generic player in the US? 
So what happens normally is, you know, as part of now, I think about two years ago, FDI started this. Yeah, you know, we need to give information that there is, uh, you know, there's some sort of situation is happening at the end market level. Uh, so we have to inform them. So whenever they get this information, they reach out to other suppliers who are having this product and say that, you know, next two months, you know, in July, you might see a 10% shortage situation. How are you placed with supply? You know, that's, a, that's how the email, uh, you know, comes to us. And we have to respond to that saying that we have in, uh, enough inventory to supply this or we say that, no, we don't have inventory, but we can't do it by September, October. Sure. So they will tell that if oh, the shortage might happen next month, it might last till September. So now it's an obligation of all the companies who, are, who will be going into shortage situation to inform FDA that in you know next three three months four months I'm running out of this inventory and I, it might lead to a shortage situation. So that's how uh, the alert other well suppliers. Mm. And, uh, and 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 they are also taking view beyond the next three to four months or uh, they are sticking it to on a weekly or a monthly basis as of now. No, so it all depends on uh, uh, you know how, when they get information from the uh, the suppliers. Now, some companies have a longer view of their own inventories. For example, I have a forecast of say six months, and uh, you know I'm, I'm having enough inventory, but suddenly my forecast and my inventory my inventory has gone down, and the supplier not supplied. Then I'll tell okay, I'll inform FDA that I have inventory for three months, and then in in August. I'll be running out for three months, I cannot supply. So immediately FDA will reach out to other suppliers saying that always, you know, this part is going to get in the shortest situation. So are you, or do we have enough inventory to supply? That's how it works. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Ashish, Ashish, you'll have to please join back the queue. Sorry, we have many questions. Sorry. Manish, are you back? Uh, uh, Manish, can you unmute yourself and ask a question? Or then we go to the, Manish, are you there? No, I think I think Manish is having, is having trouble asking questions. Maybe. Um, so maybe Alisha, do you want to take the next question? So um, good evening, sir. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, so my first question is with respect to cross margins, and maybe once it is earlier, but some more clarification will be helpful. So if you see over the last three four years, if I exclude 20, FY22 also, assuming you know there were dramatically related issues. Our gross margins have steadily reduced from 59, 60% to 56%. Is this only because of change in geographic mix? Alicia, um, I think uh, I have rated many times. Our model is actually different. So gross margin, we completely ignore because we have a contract manufacturing business. We have a tech transfer business. We also have a, uh, uh, our own product sales uh, uh, business. Now, a contract manufacturing business 100% gross margin, you know, and the other ones are depending on, you know, where, you know, some products where we buy materials for tech transfer, some we don't buy materials, it's 100% gross margin. So, whenever that portion of the business increases, gross margin looks like, looks like our gross margins are improved. So, you know, that's one aspect. Other is, of course, like you said, it's the geographic mix. That also plays a role with the... A particular quarter geography, uh, other than U.S. has increased, then particular uh, the gross uh, margin looks better. So I I won't say you know for us you should look at gross margin, uh, because it's not a uh, right reflection of our margin profile. You should always look at our uh, average margin. Okay, thank you. Uh, 
I'm not looking at the quarterly basis. I'm comparing it over the last three, four years, and it has consistently moved down. So I can understand that maybe one year it could have dipped because there was a slight shift. And to add to this, you know, we've consistently maintained that we're expecting growth in our non-US markets, our ROW and other markets, to outpace US growth. In that event, there is going to be constant pressure on gross margin. So at what point will it stay there, considering everything in mind? So gross margin, you know, so, uh, you know I, I, I'll uh, answer more specifically to products where they are selling directly and eliminate contract manufacturing where it's 100% gross margin. I said, you know, that business portion. If I'm talking about this product per se, you know, the uh, ROW business gross margins are lower. Uh, by probably 7-8%, but, you know, we, we have, that helps actually in a way our EBITDA margins because they're offsetting, uh, uh, through operational leverage, uh, because, uh, you know, it also adds up, it also helps our margin improvement for the U.S., U.S. business, uh, because our batch sizes are increased because we, uh, kind of pool both requirements. For example, in Oxford, we do both for U.S. and outside U.S. Today, our batch sizes are like five times the passes what we used to do about three years ago when we were supplying only for the U.S. That's where our cost per unit will come down, and uh, and that's not reflected in our cost uh, margin. So, I would say, uh, yes, cost margin is lower for our public business, but at debit level still, I think, uh, we'll be able to manage uh, a little better. Understood. I'm just going to Thanks. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, everyone. Just a request to everybody, uh, except for the guest, I can I request everyone to switch off your camera, please. Um, in the meanwhile, um, I think we've got Manish. I saw him logging in yeah. again. So, Manish, please, please go ahead. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. Just a few questions on Anastopelian. You know, uh, we have had syringe shortages, etc. We could not meet the demand for Anastopelian last quarter. So, and a few other new players have also come into the Enoxoparin, you know, that thing. So, uh, I mean, are we going to have the lot sales in fourth quarter come back uh, now? And, uh, you know, even in ROW, Enoxoparin bump up we have seen over the last few years. You know, going forward, uh, is this going to come down? ROW growth is going to come down? So, how, how do we look at market share, you know, in the Enoxoparin uh, space? Uh, and the outlook on Enoxoparin from ROW point of view, and what is the situation in the US? So, Enoxoparin, uh, you know, you have to look at pre-COVID and post-COVID, because during COVID, of course, there's a huge demand being a blood thinner. Uh, but if you see pre-COVID to post-COVID, there will be a huge bump up. Uh, I've been talking about the contract, the national contract we got in the US. Um, in terms of, uh, because of shortages, uh, that won't impact much because, like I said, um, our partner is already taking this product from somebody and it's only been moving, moving from that partner to us, right, uh, because of a contractual uh, agreement. So because of our uh, uh, supply issue, that movement has been slowed down for some SKUs and some SKUs have already moved. So you will see more and more uh, that movement happening in June, July, that time frame when, uh, uh, when we are able to supply 100% of the quantities because uh, you know, the the U.S. demand, I would say, around 20, 22, 23 million syringes is the, the demand what we have. And, you know, that, that uh, you know, that will be uh, in line with what, what we told uh, the investors. And so, uh, you know, uh, how is the pricing for NFC behaving given that you have increased competition? 
So the pricing is already kind of bottomed out, right? I mean, the competition itself was um, uh, there about three, four years ago. But if you look at the uh, the IMS and IQA data, uh, you might see seven or eight uh, different companies. But if you really get into more details, uh, these are more private label uh, um, private labels like you know Novaplex is showing the different SKU, Northstar is showing the different uh, company. But these are all nothing but, you know, for example, Novoplast actually belongs to Vision, which is owned by SK. SK themselves have two labels, one under APP, you know, which they, uh, the product is to get from um, a fee for their uh, private market. Um, and then they also have on the Fresenius name. So you, you, did, you don't go by the number of players in IQR. It shows like eight or nine players, but actually the players are like four or five. So how should we look at uh, RW growth in the context of bump up in Nasrudin over the last couple of years? So should we expect moderation in RW growth going forward? So of course, you know the the jump for the guard, you know, it was not about fifty percent. Of course, you can't expect other fifty percent in this year. There will be moderation. Uh, but the Nasrudin uh, contract for the guard, you know, if you see the majority of the volumes we got in GCC country, Saudi also we got majority. That is sustainable because we have a contract for two years. So that's still there. And um, we are also having different steps how to uh, continue that business. And uh, we are already doing local packaging and sorry for this. So we'll get a, uh, a special treatment because uh, people who are exporting 100% product from outside uh, Saudi, uh, you know, we get a preference because we do packaging with a local company there and then supply. Uh, so there's also plans of locally manufacturers finished product so that you can have that contract in place for a long time. But that's, that's under discussion. But currently, we do have an advantage in that case. And so, uh, just a final question. Yes, yes, okay. In the interest of time, sure. uh, can I request you to this to be the last question and then I can ask you to join back in the queue? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Just to color on U.S. growth because, uh, you know, previously, I mean, we, we believe that U.S. growth should be 20%. Would it be fair to now assume that U.S. growth should be mid-teens, something like 15 percent, uh, you know, uh, what should be a, a basic assumption in U.S. growth? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we, if you say last year was 13 percent, uh, uh, yeah. again... Uh, we are guided to 18 percent. 18 percent is, you know, of course, selling shortages are such over there. So, 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 so money what you have to see is, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, the, the growth of the previous year was higher. You know, if you, if you look at a three-year time frame, some products get approval earlier. So suddenly you see a bump up in the growth of the previous year. Then the subsequent year, the impact is lower. So on a longer run, you have to see. We would still see, you know, 15, 15%, I think we should take as a growth. Uh, but I think we'll get more color once we start launching more products. Sure. Thanks. I'll come back Yeah. Thanks. Thank you very much. Um, there are a few people who still have the camera on. It is kind of uh, it, the bandwidth is taking up. So, request you to switch off the camera, please. I would now request uh, Mr. Saurav Agrawal, please, to unmute yourself and ask the question. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for taking out your time for the session. Just wanted to understand on client stickiness and earlier you referred to the impact of new capacities coming. Uh, so do you see instances when clients turn out maybe to other players or in source and what are the instances or incentives for the client to churn or uh, move, uh, uh, you know, in sourcing? Thanks. 
so one is uh, a good thing is not many players are there who are offering products like us um, and you know we have a history of um, supplies and quality over the years and uh, you know getting into um, a contract with a um, big organization takes a lot of time and you know it needs confidence so you know we took us time for us initially uh, so that way the thickness is there so we are adding more and more products to uh, to this company and their own uh, why they come to plant is you know they you know, one is because they look at the portfolio what they're developing internally and you know why whether plant is ahead in the, in the de- in terms of development or you know the cost of development or you know do they have infrastructure to commercially manufacture a particular product so the different aspects they look at there are also instances where companies have started development but they thought that you know they missed their you know filing timeline by five six months and it's so important to launch on the first day. So they they curtail the development thing to us. So there's different decision making uh, um, uh, issues which which they consider uh, while while they move to us. And the instances when they impose the rather than outsourcing, so moving the contract away from land. Uh, so the only only time when we see uh, people more is when they want to drop a product or something where the margins are not good enough or if they think that you know the volumes are not just in the market. Uh, but not that they move away from us. It's more to do with you know whether they want to continue with the product or not. You know that that's when they move out and then we license that product to somebody else. But there are a few instances like that. Okay, good thanks. So, sir, I have a couple of questions coming from uh, coming on to, coming to me on WhatsApp. So I'll just read it out. So, uh, firstly, I think given that there are so many supply challenges, I mean, not just injectables in general as well. And 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 do you expect that this will this is going to lead to some shortages in the market and subsequently there could be price increases? I mean, is that something uh, you know, as a theory that think that you think will play out going forward? Uh, we are hoping so. We are not seeing it, but you know, we always discuss how come it's not reflecting in the price increases. But again, there is you know always a time when you know companies you know they have to realize that why companies are not able to supply certain products and why they're moving out of products. So that revelation might happen. We are hoping that that will happen to at least certain products uh, when the shortages continue because they can't keep, keep on substituting with the products which are older versions or a different kind of product, you know. I, I think that's, that's not sustainable for longer than which they're doing now. Uh, yeah, hopefully I think that should, that should uh, increase the prices, yeah. Sure. And another question is, sir, uh, in, um, in uh, uh, say, uh, while you're facing these challenges around, uh, did you get disconnected? Hello, sir, are you there? I think you were disconnected. Yeah, while we we'll wait for a couple of minutes for him to reach me. Yeah. So like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for this discussion, let's wait for a couple of minutes. He's there. Will you let him in? Yeah, sir, are you there? We can see you, but yeah, can't yeah. yeah, that's good, sir. Yes, yes, now we can hear. Yeah, so I think I think uh, the question is that um, uh, because of the shortages again, I mean again, little shortages, that because of the shortages around 
did GLAD have to pay any failure to supply penalties as of now? Or it's something that is, you know, done by the, um, what do you say, done by the, but done, done by your partner? So luckily for us, you know, till now it's not impacted the end market uh, because our partners have um, have enough inventories long time. So it's more a product going from us to the partners that that got impacted. And on Inoxa specifically, uh, you know, because more it was more to do with uh, you know getting this additional contract moved to us. Uh, so they were actually trying to uh, get uh, enough inventory before they moved that. Uh, because, you know, the, uh, uh, the quantities were huge and they were also worried because they've been supplying this product for so many years, they want to get impacted. That way it helps us. Uh, so as of now, uh, no penalties we have paid and, um, uh, so I think, you know, our model again helps us because we're not directly, uh, uh, supplying the market and our companies or our partners have inventory support to sign on. So, uh, suffice to say that generally if there is a failure to supply penalty, most of the burden is borne by the partner. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, so only if the supply uh, uh, issue is for longer time, right? Like six months or nine months if they're not able to supply and then they're not able to supply our partners and that's leading to a shortage, then the failure to supply happens. But because they're having those inventories, they're not able to, uh, you know, they're able to maintain the supply still. Sure. Is that a more uh, philosophical and uh, really more long-term question is that, you know, um, I think uh, the company has uh, delivered obviously very solid growth and, and you did mention at the start that the business model is very resilient, right, despite all the near-term challenges. So I think to sort of maintain the resilience in the business, um, you know, what are the various initiatives and actions that the company is, is taking to, you know, uh, keep this business quite robust and resilient? So, uh, you know, one is continue to do, uh, uh, the, the portfolio, um, uh, expansion. Um, good thing is, you know, the, the complex portfolio is coming up very well and that, that can take, um, a lot of burden on the margin, on the margin side. Uh, the expansion to other geographies, you know, we're taking, uh, we're trying to push a lot of products to, uh, social network in Africa, in GCC countries. Uh, in Europe, we've got two registrations in the last two weeks. We're trying to launch those to uh, force in uh, EU as well uh, because we're always reluctant to get into EU because of, you know, other partners and how much margin they will have, how much margin we'll have. Now with uh, Fosun having there, you know, that's a lesser problem for us because, you know, they're still to work on a distribution model in, in EU. So we're going to launch a couple of products there. So more products we're trying to create a portfolio for the longer run. Uh, China... Um, uh, two products are close to approval. Uh, we're trying to, I think, our uh, is trying to negotiate with uh, NMPA that, you know, can we avoid inspection now because of COVID and can we get there. So that portfolio uh, is getting along well. Uh, the biosimilar uh, CDMO business, uh, you know, this is a long-term growth uh, um, strategy for us. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, active interest in it. Several several plans have come. And a good thing is I really like the facility, the design, what we have done. With international standards, uh, so we want to start some business locally initially, and also in parallel talking to them. Just also some of their work because they're getting it done from outside. So that is, I think, uh, while there could be a um, shorter issues with supply chain and delays because of COVID, delays of approvals, but the longer run, uh, what the strategy was to lay down, uh, it is it, quite strong. 
Um, and, you know, the capacity expansions have come up. Again, you know, there were daily a few, few lines for a few months because of COVID, but then that's coming along. The microsphere line is ready now, you know, it's under validation. So that line is coming up. Uh, the additional, uh, you know, unanticipated demand has come up in bags. So now we're already working on CapEx required for additional land next year, so that we might see national CapEx for that. Uh, so there are certain areas where we didn't anticipate last year where the demand is coming from. So we're trying to see how to address that demand. Uh, but I, like I said, all the challenges I would say is temporary. And uh, the space we are in and the, the customer base what we have and uh, the quality track record what we have, we're quite confident that, you know, we'll continue to give growth uh, to the company. Sure. And, sir, you, you did mention about biosimilar CDM or biosimilar CDM as an opportunity. So just maybe if you can clarify, um, why do you call it a CDMO and not a CMO? That's the first question. And generally, uh, you know, how does this uh, this gel with your existing, uh, you know, um, surviving technical business? If you can just, a very basic question, but, you know, I think it's quite important to understand. Yeah, so, uh, you know, in CMO, it's more like uh, they give up power conditions to the filling um, um, and then do it. Here, you know, we're also working on the drug substance. And in bio, biosimilars, you know, when you get a cell line uh, to, to take that to a, uh, a higher batch size, you need to do some development work. And that's why we call it a development as well. Now, are we going to develop our own products? No, but, you know, we don't want to do like a genetic where we develop our own products, but this is more like a, uh, you know, there's a lot of scope in terms of growth in that space coming up now, especially from, I would say 35% of the business today, the growth is coming from the small boutique, uh, uh, biosimilar phase, biologic phase. And these are the guys who are actively looking at India as the next hub to, uh, to get outsourcing work done. Um, and you know, even the local companies who are working with the international guys are looking at larger capacities. They're talking to us, so we're also trying to collaborate with the local players who, who, whom we are uh, working for a long time. So I think there are several avenues open. It's just a time, uh, you know, because any business, it takes time to you know, get to a commercial scale. But, uh, you know, if you look at, you know, even 19, uh, 1920, when looking at IPO, we said that these are the, these are the growth levers, what they're talking about. And in the last three, four years, we're not saying, you know, we're going to have a great revenue coming out of this, but we're laying the base for the future of the company. And, uh, you know, this is, again, a, a high-entry barrier uh, business. We're trying to enter at this early stage. Not many players have gone into that stage. Everybody's trying to enter their own product development. But we're saying, no, we're not going to enter that. We're trying to uh, work with other players like the Genrix to support them with infrastructure and our own capabilities so that, you know, uh, we can grow this business in that space. So, so maybe if you can elaborate, like, for what are the next steps um, on this business per se, and uh, when do we think really substantial revenue uh, would start coming through from this business? I would say, you know, 24, FI 24, you might see some numbers, uh, 25 substantial numbers. The two two ways are looking at using our facilities, substance and formulation to get certain kinds of certain business. We have time to work with uh, Fosun subsidiaries to outsource some of their work, so to, to, to collaborate with them. Again, you know, certain areas where we can do with the team what we have in place. They have substantial experience in working in a, in a larger space. They also have their own clientele. Uh, but because they have their own development, they can get into the CDMO space. So, you know, if you want to create that niche 
clan would become an inferior player in, in the biosimilar biology in, in the entire Fosun network. So, and, and again, uh, as you mentioned, Fosun, maybe a little elaborate, where is this sort of partnership sort of, I would say, stuck in the sense that, you know, I think you had this facility for almost a year now, or say at least 9-12 months almost, and so, so what's stopping, say, Henley's or Fosun to start uh, developing products with you already? I mean, so the serious discussion only started in last two months, I would say, right? Earlier, because we were still hoping that the vaccines will come through, we don't want to disturb it. Uh, so no serious discussion happened that time. And, uh, you know, when we acquired this facility, it was a very small one-block R&D consolidated facility. That's not good enough to do a CDMO. So we have invested uh, into that plant. So the construction, setting up the plant took almost six to seven months. Uh, so I would say I will not consider that like a one-year-old CDMO ready facility. It's only about two-month-old facility. And then we opened up with clientele only post when you know that, okay, I think this is not going to happen. Now we have given enough time. Uh, so people, uh, three of our companies already came in. We already had discussions and, you know, looking at, uh, you know, the codes and all that is happening. From Henry's perspective, there are different ideas going through. I can't really let out what's going on with them. Uh, you know, but there are also disparity, you know, we are related parties, so we have to see, you know, both interests are protected. Uh, so in that sense, the discussions are going around. So we are willing to know one that we just could say. Sure. Um, Ashish and, uh, Ashish has a question. Ashish, you have to unmute yourself and ask your question. Uh, yeah, thanks for the opportunity again. Uh, such a very, uh, near-term question, given that, you know, next two quarters, we will see your supply challenges. Uh, so, would it be fair to assume that FY23 would be a softer year, actually, in terms of revenue growth? And what we were guiding, we were putting a number of 20% revenue growth for FY23. Do you believe there would be a softening on that number? And then in FY24, uh, we will see uh, a part of the growth in FY23 to be also spinning over in FY24. And in totality, FY24 would be a much better year. So, I can't really comment on the very near term because, you know, honestly, uh, something is not in our hand, but Hopefully, what we told the market, uh, you know, we should get to that uh, growth. Um, see, it's all, uh, once we start getting the supply streamlined, we have enough capacity to catch up, uh, you know, whether it is, uh, you know, uh, whether it is changes, whether it is wires, we have enough capacity to uh, to clear all the backlogs what we have. So, we still hope that in the next two or quarters, we should catch up with what we lost in the first two quarters. Okay, great. And just one last question. Uh, in, in percentages terms, can you quantify the shortages of in these other stoppages and all that you are witnessing on your overall portfolio? So I would say, you know, probably six products got impacted by this. Uh, two major products, not the minor products. Uh, uh, I can't just give a letter of the number, but uh, I would say the number of products wise, I can tell you as of now, yeah. Okay, so largely this would be in top, this is the top 15 products. Which are these two products are top, uh, two products are in top 10, yeah. Yeah. This has, thank you, sir, and all the best. Thank you. Uh, Gagan, you want to take the next question? Please unmute yourself. Gagan, you're on mute. Okay, maybe, uh, Taran, you want to take the next question? Hello, sir. So just look at your uh, FI22 filings, noticed uh, a reasonable amount of filings coming from your own shelf rather than uh, uh, partner filings. 
So has there been a, a, a you know conscious change in strategy? That's number one. And number two, you spoke about uh, um, the anoxy market being about 22, 23 million syringes. That's only for North America. That's only for the that's only for the US. Yes. Okay. And uh, in terms of strategy, yeah, I mean, it's many years. I mean, I would say four, five years ago, we changed the strategy of filings. Uh, whatever partner filings you have seen in the recent years are the contract what you entered a few years ago. Uh, but all the products, uh, what we're developing uh, in recent times, and now we are filing on our own and we are licensing our ANDA. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, uh, Gagan, are you there? Do you want to take the next question? Gagan, please unmute yourself if you are still there. Yeah, uh, can you hear me? Yes. Well, thanks, thanks for taking my question. So two, three questions. Uh, one, uh, with a three to five year time frame, how should we think of growth in your ROW and China markets? Uh, two, um, you know, biotech funding uh, is tightening up a bit now, and you said, uh, uh, you know, a lot of biotech outsource work. Do you see this impacting growth from the biotech segment uh, in the coming years? And third, uh, you know, margins on, on the... Uh, CDMO in biosimilars business, if you could give some flavor of that. Yeah, so from growth perspective, uh, you know, the company is still took around the 20-25% um, in the longer run, uh, with with China adding in, uh, which are larger market, and complex electrical coming in, and the bio, bio CDMO coming in. Uh, from uh, from uh, investment perspective, uh, you are right, yeah, I think that's what actually opened up the CDMO business in a larger way. Earlier companies were looking at investing themselves in the entire infrastructure, you know, from from development to manufacturing to, uh, you know, the expansion, the scale-up and all that. Because the biotech investments have gone down, now companies are started limiting uh, their investments that now more focused on just the development of products and trying to outsource most of it. So that way they're saving the investment, right? I mean, they're not sitting on their investment for a year. So you're right in that, you know, it is cut down, but that's actually an open up an opportunity for CDMO players, uh, unlike before. And from margin perspective, uh, you know, the bio CDMO is a larger, higher margin business, uh, like the, uh, you know, the high value um, uh, uh, CMO, it's similar to that. So in that way, I would say it's not, uh, it's, it's uh, margin attractive uh, for the company. I said one more question, if I'm allowed, uh, brief one. Um, uh, you know, you've been indicating that uh, gross margin impact due to the higher salience of ROW uh, will be countered by increasing batch sizes. Is there a limit beyond which, you know, this, this is not possible? Or do you think that even as ROW further scales up, uh, you know, you can keep on building efficiencies uh, because of higher batch sizes and keep your margins stable at the operating level? Well, you know, um, as a company, we are always, always focused on margins, right? I mean, uh, we only go to a certain level where uh, the margins are uh, good enough. We don't launch products where the margins are bad. You know, if you look at the product what we launch in ROW, we don't launch a lot of products which are, uh, which are not giving us good margins. Otherwise, you know, we could actually sell more. Uh, in a lot of products in Africa, you know, the, the margins could be 10%, 20%, which you don't sell. In that way, I think the, 
the the growth are talking about a product which which are, which are difficult to make and which are giving giving good EBITDA margins for the company. So the focus is on those kind of products. Thanks, sir. Thanks for taking my question. I'll get back in the show. I said maybe a little bit on China as well. I think uh, we didn't discuss China too much, but uh, you briefly uh, in your opening comments did mention. But you can just say uh, what exactly are the challenges that you are facing, and and uh, you know, is there any different thought around you know um, you know changing the course of uh, the you know or expediting the China business monetization? So again, uh, you know, China uh, the. Um, what we call as an ideal route, so the products which are FDA approved, they have this ideal route through which you can expedite the product approvals. Uh, now the challenge is uh, you are taking an FDA approved product. Now we are looking at to um, uh, compare with an RLD of China, and the China specifications are even more tighter than than the requirements of FDA. Now you know when we entered, we thought it's okay, you just take this product and then yeah, they'll approve it. It's not like that. They have their own specifications. Then they want the API to be in China. They want the sequence to in China. Their components to be in China. So there are different challenges to it. You know, by the time we actually gone through this learning curve, it got delayed a bit. And then we had to convince our suppliers to go and file in China or you know, meet the specifications of China. Now some issues they are so tight that you know not everybody will be willing to do it. So I think that's one of the learnings what we have gone through. But if you want to go and specifically develop for China market, then the problem is it's not FDA approved. So then we can't go through the idea route. It has to go through the normal route, which will take five to six years, like a lot of other companies have tried to do, and they try, you know, they could enter that market. So the best way is to get through the idea route, FDA approved product, and then then manage the, the impurity profile. So now currently, what the selecting products are, we're looking at China products. What are the impurity profiles? Looking at FDA products and then seeing, okay, is it closer to and if the API guys are willing to uh, uh, meet those specifications and trying to match that and only selecting those products. So initially it was like we took products and then filed it, then we came, then the regulator came back and said, no, you know, your regular, your inputs are with Titan. Then we went back to the UK supplier and said, can you Titan? They said, no, we can't Titan, these are faster. So now we changed the base. Now we are working from the beginning, okay, what are the impurities uh, profile required for China market, what are the requirements of that? Then we are trying to select products which are meeting that closely, and then, you know, we change the system a bit better. So it's moving uh, quicker than, uh, but I think it's a learning learning curve to just go, go through. I think now in the future, I think the, the approvals will be faster than what we uh, what we have uh, uh, in the past 10 years. So your original view about the attractiveness of the China market is, not changed and uh, maybe there is a delay, but uh, the overall attractiveness terms, I think it has not changed. So, Anshuman, I know personally, I always see more entry barriers is the better, where it's more difficult for other players. So, you know, it's more tougher for us. It will be even more tougher for other guys because they have a better portfolio than us. So, you know, we are learning it and we have a postman there sitting there, helping us with all the regulatory discussions and, you know, getting it tested because we have to get every sample tested in, uh, in China. So they are coordinating all that. They have an R&D team. They're trying to outsource some of the tests in China. All that is done by us, which maybe other companies do not have. So I would say, you know, if it's easier, then it's easier for everybody, then actually it will become more competitive and we don't have that. So as well, it will be more tougher so that we can enter that. So we, we might do a few months here and there. In the longer run, I think it's beneficial for companies like us. Sure. No, no, I think great to know. Kunal, uh, you want to ask the next question? 
Kunal Mehta. Am I audible? Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, so I have a single question. I just wanted to understand, you know, how do you think about the, you know, uh, 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 the risk to the profit share which accrues to you, you know, from your US content partners, uh, you know, for, for, especially for your core products. So when I look at your products, you know, from IQB data, I mean, the core ones, I mean, heparin, enoxaparin, daptomycin, and, you know, the top five, six products, where, you know, where uh, you'll be having, you know, a very large portion of profit share coming to us, and you'll be mentioning that, uh, on the cause that uh, uh, it's 18% of our revenue is profit share income, which directly throws down to the uh, bottom line. So this I means, so let's say, you know, in a, in a hypothetical scenario where we see, you know, incremental competition, uh, you know, because, because in a, I mean, uh, when we look at a lot of the capacities are going to come up in injective space, uh, you know, we see that FI23 second half and, you know, preferably FI24 is where, you know, we've seen a lot, you know, very large portion of capacities, uh, new capacities coming into injectables. So let's say, you know, just as hypothetical, you know, someone like a red dealer or a bill or someone might have to, go, you know, get into heparin or any of these four products for us, then, I mean, how does, you know, how, how, what happens to the profit share, you know, which keeps, uh, from, which comes from these uh, four products? Because the prices, they, they, you know, because the price, uh, the reduction in prices, are also, you know, uh, will directly have a big impact on us, that amount. Yeah, so, uh, like I said, you know, our profit share element is smaller part of the business. That's one. Second, um, any company coming in, you know, most of these products are bottomed out in terms of margins, right? I mean, the scale at which we operate, uh, companies are coming in to reach to that scale, it takes a lot of time and so much volumes needed to get. Um, all these companies are mostly as something companies, which is, which is a company. Their, their volume uh, share will be lesser because they might have one contract or so because we have multiple partners of so volumes are normally higher. So in that way, we have a better cost structure messages. Um, uh, um, there will be products, you know, where we're not there. That's a story where we don't have a backend, uh, you know. That's why we're saying in M&A we're looking at how to back integrate mostly, right? The accommodation we don't have. Uh, so, so there are a lot of different things we have to do to keep that margin intact. So the, the, the margin might go down a bit in the front end, but what all you have to do to make, maintain your margin as a, as a, for a product, you know, you have to do, and that's what we're doing, you know, whether it's also resources, uh, whether it is, um, increasing batch as alternative suppliers in terms of materials, um, you know, changing of manufacturing lines where you can get value throughput. So all these are part of life cycle management, what we do to maintain that margin. Um, uh, so, you know, it's no different other, other companies coming in, uh, and, you know, try and focus on certain products. If you look at our large volume products, right, if you look at the profit share, what you get is not that big. Okay. Now, the newer products, I've told earlier, so first two years, I think the margin is a little higher. From third year, it kind of stabilizes and then, and it gets bottomed out, you know, irrespective of there are five days or ten days. So when you launch a product, they can be 12 days in place, but after six months, you see there are only four or five days actually selling the product. The rest are only sporadic. They have very, um, minor, Market share because they're all fewer driven markets. They're very, you know, very uh, probably 10, 15 percent is the rest, and that everybody will find for other is contract event. So if you have one of your clients having one or two contracts, then you're you're done. So you need not worry about that. The margin perspective after two years, most of the products will bottom out. So if whoever comes today, the, the margins will not go down because already the costs have so the price have gone down so more, uh, so low. So there's no interest for the new companies also to get entry unless they're looking at volumes and trying to disrupt the market for a little while till their, their lines are filled up. 
Now, in terms of capacity, you know, we have seen this happening, right? Some capacities come, some capacities go. Uh, people talk about new additional capacities coming on, but people never talk about how many have gone, gone out, right? Every month we see, you know, there was a rent still gone close a month ago. So the huge capacity gone. Likewise, here every month, some facility has gone out also. Now, where do these capacities uh, compensated from? You know, they're building other facilities. So, likewise, I think, I think the, uh, our business model helps in terms of larger volumes. And uh, I think you should focus on uh, our portfolio, uh, how quickly you can get your portfolio done, how quickly you can uh, get your contract injected done. Yes, is not the only market out there. We have now start to focusing on the world market, how to de-risk yourself. Um, you know, I think you know that's how we're looking at as a globe, as a globe, how we can uh, become a global injector player than just not US. Sure, this is this is very helpful, sir. Just, oh, I just wanted to. Kunal, Kunal, sorry, I think we have some oh, positive time. Sorry, I yeah. just ask one last question, and maybe then we we'll go. Sorry, Kunal, about that. Sir, thanks a lot, sir. On on the MA side, particularly, and this is obviously you have good amount of cash, and you know maybe you can elaborate your plans and what will be happening in terms of activity on on MA side. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't show the result, Anshman, but in a lot of activity, I think we have seen 16, 17 assets in the last 18 months. Um, you know, we have also seen we have spent uh, substantial money on, on the M&A expenses. Uh, uh, unfortunately, the valuations are very high, you know. Uh, we are little, um, I would say, risk uh, uh, We don't want to get into a situation where we, we do a disparate acquisition and end up, uh, you know, uh, not able to get the returns on that. Uh, we have to write values like that because we're not a private equity where we can turn around and sell the company and go off. And so we have to get money out of the asset. Uh, so that way, you know, the, the values are very high last few months. Now we've kind of getting normalized. So hopefully, you know, we should get something, something good in, now that it's more reasonable in terms of value. Sure. I think, I think, I, I think you've taken a lot of your time. So uh, thank you, uh, thank you, Sadhu sir, and everybody for joining today. It was very, very enriching, and uh, thank you, sir. Bye. Thank you, Anshuman. Thank you, everyone, for participating here. Look forward. Bye-bye.